0: If you are secure in yourself, know what turns you on, and enjoy watching your partner watch you experience sexual pleasure, you have a highly novel relationship grounded in love. The experience of seeing and being seen fuels lust and desire. This is exactly the way you integrate healthy lust and love into your sex life. Alexandra Katahakis, Clinical Director of the Center for Healthy Sex in Los Angeles. She's also the author of Erotic Intelligence. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, where good girls go for sexual empowerment. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I am ecstatic to be here with you all for our 50th episode. Can you believe that? This year has been beautifully rich, thanks to you all, and we'll be celebrating one year of Girl Boner Radio in just a couple of weeks. I'm so stoked for that and hope you'll join us. One of the biggest highlights of this year for me has been learning about vital topics I might not have explored so fully otherwise. This might sound kind of naive, but early on in my sex writing and and radio work, I had no idea that I'd be discussing porn so much, both from the adult industry side with insightful chats with some of its empowering stars and the darker side, including what happens when porn takes a dangerous front seat in viewers' lives. Back in May, I interviewed Rachel Kona, whose life was turned upside down for a bit due to her ex-boyfriend's porn addiction. Here's a little clip from that interview.
2: I knew that he watched porn frequently, um, but I didn't really think much of it. I kind of just thought, oh, he's he's like, you know, kind of alpha male kind of guy, you know, whatever. Um, but when we were being intimate, um, he had a problem getting hard and staying hard and um achieving orgasm and you know at first I kind of thought Is me like does he not find me attractive and you know the typical kind of things that women might think in that situation um and he always assured me that that was not the case and um but neither of us really knew what it was like he, even he didn't know he just thought like well if you if you just try this position I'll I'll come or that position and Nothing was really working and then he, he thought maybe he'll take Viagra. Um and then I started, I heard briefly about Don, Don John, the movie about, you know, a guy who's addicted to porn. And I saw that trailer and that's kind of what made me think, is this, does this have something to do with it? And I Googled porn addiction and, or no, I Googled porn and erectile dysfunction is what I Googled. And all this stuff came up about all these stories from men who were saying that had a really hard time maintaining erections and having sex to completion with their partners because they were watching porn every day.
0: Shortly later in June, I chatted with Gabe Deem, a counselor who's turned his experience with overcoming porn dependency into life-changing activism. I found this point really, really interesting about what he said about the addiction.
3: When you speak of addictions, usually there's some kind of trauma or issue that led that person to use that you know substance to you know kind of ease the pain of the trauma or issue but in my case and many other guys today that have porn addictions that's not the case i just had access to porn as a kid
0: Gabe's fascination with pornographic imagery began at age eight, starting when he found a magazine uh, with uh, pornographic pictures in the neighborhood. That led to uh, softcore porn later when he started watching cable in his teens. And after high school, his porn habits became a much bigger problem.
3: Going into college, I began to notice you know, my drive for life decreasing, losing motivation. You know, I didn't care about getting a good job, getting a family, things that used to be important to me. I, I quit basketball. And I had a chance to, you know, go to college and play D1. I just really didn't care about anything, but I didn't really notice that. You know, I thought I was just your normal punk kid. Um, But something else caught my attention, and that was when I was around 22 and I uh, was going to have sex with a beautiful girl, and I couldn't get an erection. And, you know, I freaked out. I had no idea what was wrong with me. Um, And I blew it off that time. And then another year later, I got with a girl that I really found attractive, real gorgeous, everything I wanted. And again, I couldn't get an erection at all. And so I I started Googling, and it took me about a month, but I found a thread of hundreds and thousands of guys talking about um, erectile dysfunction, and they were teenagers all the way to 80 years old.
0: Interesting similarities between the two experiences, right? Thanks to people like Gabe, Rachel, and today's guest, more people are beginning to speak up about Porn addiction, but lots more work needs to be done. And very few women have come forward to speak about their own dependencies. I'm aware of this because I've been searching. And I actually, after I started speaking about porn addiction with guests here and also at the National Women's Studies Association conference in Puerto Rico, one of the biggest uh, reasons people spoke to me or emailed me afterward had to do with their own porn addiction, Uh, a lot of women were curious, you know, does this happen to women or am I struggling with this? Um, two women actually agreed to speak with me about uh, their own pornography addiction, and they ended up backing out, which I completely respect and, and understand. And One of them actually told me that there's no way in hell she would share her public story, uh, or, or excuse me, share her story publicly, even anonymously, because here's a quote, I can barely stand thinking about it myself But I have to. It's disgusting and ruining my life." So sad. While there's definitely shame involved with porn addiction for guys when they recognize the problem, the shame for women seems to run a whole lot deeper. And that shame keeps people from talking, so I can only assume that far more women are struggling with porn addiction than many of us realize. Shame also makes gaining understanding of the problem and the conversations about it so much more important. I'm so grateful to have Erica Garza here in the studio today. Erica is a writer from Los Angeles. Her essays have appeared in Salon, Substance, The Manifestation, and Hello Giggles. She is also a staff writer at the feminist website Luna Luna Mag. Her poignant piece for Salon magazine, Tales of a Female Sex Addict, explores her own experience with porn addiction. Thank you so much for joining me, Erica. How are you doing today? I'm good, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. I'm very uh, excited to talk to you about this topic. It's so important and I really feel that it's underexplored. You wrote that your compulsion started when you were 12 years old. Could you tell us kind of how that began?
4: Right. Well, the compulsion started at 12, but I have definitely been interested in sex way before that. I remember being about eight or nine and I was just constantly interested in sex even before I really knew what sex was, like how it worked exactly. I was always staring at men's crotches and women's breasts and um, rubbing my Barbies together at home. I was just constantly turned on. It wasn't until I was 12 that I started masturbating and had this outlet for all of that built up sexual frustration. Um, And, I mean, I'm not saying I had an addiction right away, but I definitely was fascinated. And I was just a hormonal, horny, normal girl. Um, But I wish I knew that. The fact that I didn't know that kind of turned it into an addiction for me. Um, I felt a lot of shame tied up in that. And I think because of two reasons. My parents were very young when they had us, me and my brother. And so they didn't really give us any kind of sex talk. I didn't have any kind of point of reference to turn to. And I figured they thought I would just learn at school, but I was raised in a very Catholic uh, school. And it's kind of cliche, but it's valid too that we're kind of repressed in Catholicism and everybody kind of knows that. So I learned early on that sex was something that happened between a man and a woman who are married, not a girl in her hand, and that masturbation, aside from being a sin, is um, something meant for boys. And so it became very charged with this kind of shame um, and so I started turning to, besides fantasy, that's how it started, with just fantasy, I started turning to um, softcore porn on Cinemax, and Shannon Tweed was my hero at night. And then um, the internet came about, and it kind of started with just downloading pictures, and that took like an hour because I had dino- uh, dial-up. And then um, streaming started coming into play, and I started looking at, you know, porn sites, and there was cyber sex, and it just kind of progressed from there. Can you imagine if, because... I also, you know, was there in the dial-up age when
0: the Internet first started, and I was, I was a teenager. And I can't imagine if, I mean, I would have been watching porn in kindergarten if it was, you know, on my little smartphone device, whatever, right. because there is that curiosity. And I love that you described it as normal, because it is. Oh, definitely. And it's incredible how our society really believes, and I certainly was raised, that, um, you know, that sex is is a negative thing and also not not to be even spoken about for children, though we're born sexual creatures, you know, right. that, and especially for girls that I remember being told by a teacher, actually, that, you know, boys think about sex very often, and that's normal. And it's probably good that girls don't, because then they would be having sex all the time. And I just thought, <laughs> that's awful, you know, and yeah. curiosity is natural, you know, so and our sex education system is crazy in that way. Um, Definitely. You're a great uh, kind of your experience is kind of a metaphor for our culture, because I think we do have this over-sexualized addiction as a culture too, Right. you know, and there's kind of this big missing piece. Uh, so how did this, uh, the compulsions early on affect uh, your, your life, your emotional wellness, that kind of thing?
4: Well, I definitely started spending more and more time um, with the screens. You know, I, I would self-soothe. And I should also mention at 12, I was diagnosed with scoliosis. And so I was outfitted with this big, bulky back brace. And so that also led to me feeling very insecure and withdrawn. And I used um, masturbation and porn as as an escape method and just to get away from it. And I learned to rely on that kind of crutch in order to get through any of the kind of issues <clears throat> hard issues I was facing around those times. Um, And because I didn't hear other girls talking about it and because I felt this was something that was wrong with me and something very unique and bad, um, I I didn't have anywhere to take that. And so I just kind of sat with that and turned it into a story of me being bad, something Mm. something being wrong.
0: Wow. And I can imagine girls are all so insecure anyway at that age and sort of having that that secret that you're bad, I can see how that would kind of, you know, infiltrate other areas of your life and just become, you know, something that even subconsciously you may not even realize how much it was, you know, affecting you and,
4: and Yeah, and it led to this belief that I was so different from other people, there was no way I was going to connect with other people. And that was just a belief that I held with me for a really long time. I mean, up until I started actually talking about these kind of things openly and honestly, did I see that, you know, other people do feel this way and I'm not so unique. I mean, it's great to think you're unique once in a while, but when it starts to become like, I'm so unique and so different from everybody that there's no way I'm ever going to connect with anybody, then, you know, it becomes something kind of dangerous. And it's interesting because after I wrote the article for Salon that you mentioned, I got all these emails saying, oh, well, you must have been sexually abused as a child. Like there's no way that a girl would think about sex that much or masturbate that much, which is crazy to put into a head of a young girl or a woman, you know, that that there's something inherently wrong. It's almost saying that, you know, this is for men, so we're not human because it's a human feeling to be sexually aroused and sexually attracted to something. And I say, well, you don't question young boys who are masturbating under their covers, you know, when they're twelve or thirteen. They just say boys are being boys. But to say that a girl, you know, doesn't feel that way and doesn't shouldn't act that way, that's just um, it's sad.
0: It's very sad and very hurtful, and it hurts everyone. It hurts boys too, you know, and and because there is sort of that boys will be boys mentality and. Women are either seen as there's that kind of dichotomy. We're either slutty or these kind of pure nuns or something. And there's not this and I love what you said about being human, you know, it's let humans be human. Right. And uh, it's so important that your message is getting out for that reason. I'm it's very sad that people reacted that way, but again, it's not all that surprising. Just our right. culture is just it's amazing how yeah. how uh, these these myths go very deep. And I think very well intended parents, they don't know what to do because they weren't raised. To communicate about this stuff either. Uh, So then moving on to uh, into adulthood, uh, how did it start affecting you as far as, um, you know, after high school and into, you know, your romantic relationships?
4: Well, I think um, shame has been a big factor in it. So because I found found pleasure, With shame, you know, I thought there was something wrong with me and so shame became a big factor and I carried that into my relationships. And so I was always, you know, stuck in my head fantasizing. I would fantasize about things, you know, like my boyfriend's cheating on me all the time or he wants somebody with different body features that I don't have, you know, body features that I saw in porn. Um, And all these things that would just make me feel bad. And it's because I needed that sort of element in order to get off. It was almost as if I had become just as addicted to the shame element as I had to the pleasure that I was seeking inside. And so that just led to a big disconnect. I mean, I feel like that has been the biggest negative outcome of watching so much porn for me and turning to it as an escape method. Um is just feeling disconnected. And as far as sex goes as well, um, I found sex really unfulfilling unless I was either touching myself or thinking about something else or I needed to be watching porn while I was having sex. There was just this barrier between me and my partner all the time.
0: Wow. And I don't know if you've uh, read or, or heard about kind of the influence that porn has on the brain. They're just now studying it, but it's showing exactly what you're saying, which is that... When whatever we are experiencing during arousal is what our brain starts relying on. So people who watch porn consistently for arousal begin to not find their partners arousing and to not be able to cultivate intimacy in their relationships, which is, which is really challenging. Right. Uh, so what, what was kind of your turning point when you realized that you could, there was another way, that it wasn't that there's something uniquely wrong with you? but there was another option.
4: Um, I guess it was about two years ago when I started to kind of become really honest with myself about this being a habit that's kind of hindering my relationships and, and my progress just as a person. Um, I was in Bali. It was my 30th birthday. And, you know, I think it comes like a an age like that thirty kind of forces a person to ask themselves questions like am I living my best life is this the way I want to be and kind of you know I wanted my decade this decade to be a big one and an important one. So I was in Bali for my 30th birthday, and I was doing a lot of meditating and yoga and in this state of mind, really open. And uh, I met my husband at that time. And I've gotten a lot of criticism for saying, oh, I'm saying in my work that my husband saved me or anything. And I really think it's all about timing. Um, Every relationship is there to kind of teach us a lesson. And being in that open space that I was um, in that place, I, I opened for that kind of big love that I was really craving in my life. And the... Thing that was different about this relationship was that we just made a pact with each other to be completely honest with each other, and I had never really had that before in my other relationships. I was always doing a lot of hiding, a lot of pretending, and um, and being honest. What meant being honest about everything, even the most, you know, shameful, humiliating parts of myself. And um, I really think that just allowing myself to really get vulnerable like that and be open with another person when I had been hiding, and this is like the thing I've been hiding forever and the really biggest scariest darkest thing Um, being able to talk about it just really opened things up for me and I really started asking myself new questions and wanting to live differently and and writing about it and I had been writing about a lot of different things for a long time but it wasn't until I was writing about this topic because it was so meaningful to me and had such a history it kind of just flowed out of me and it came really naturally whereas in other topics I had felt all this writer's block and I was like oh I really need to be writing about this because this is something I really need to be working on in my life. Um, and once I started, you know, asking myself those questions and getting open and honest, only then did I start to feel really authentic and more comfortable with myself and confident and all these big changes in my life. And I was like, Whoa, well, I guess there was a lot tied up in this. <laughs>
0: yeah, you were really onto something. That's
4: fascinating. And I can
0: see the desire for authenticity and and deep connection that you had been missing right. was a huge motivation. How did your husband or then, I guess, boyfriend respond to your um, admittance that you had been addicted to porn.
4: I think that he was kind of already aware by the kind of sex we were having, which was a little disconnected. And all my old little habits were still there. Only now there was this willingness to kind of work beyond it. And so he was just, I mean, wonderful, really patient and willing to talk to me about these sort of things. And even when he'd feel me kind of holding back a little bit, he'd push a little further. And so there was just great communication. I think that's what's been so... um, different about this relationship is that there is that ability to really connect and, um, which has been really enriching for the both of us. That's
0: beautiful. And how have other people responded? Have you heard from other women who are also struggling? You may have heard me mention that women who've talked to me, there's, there's so much more shame around it. It seems, uh, that you know, for them to talk to anyone. And once somebody starts the conversation, I imagine it's easier.
4: Oh, definitely. Yeah. I've gotten quite a few emails from women who are just really grateful that I'm talking about this sort of thing. And so many times I've heard, you know, I'm going through the same thing and I'm really happy that you're talking about it. I thought it was just something wrong with me. And um, so I'm really hoping, you know, it's it's great. I started writing about it as a therapeutic tool. But now that other women are reaching out to me and telling me that they're really grateful I'm talking about it, I'm really hoping that it helps to encourage other people. Because I I had wished when I was around 12 that I could have just done a Google search and found all these other stories of people talking about this sort of thing so I wouldn't have felt so alone. And maybe then I wouldn't have learned to depend on the addiction so much. It would have just, you know, fizzed out. I wouldn't have, you know, been so involved and let it take over. Um, So I really hope that other people can find my stories and be able to connect in that way and feel that um, nothing's wrong with them and I'm doing okay so so are they
0: beautiful and I'm so glad that you are doing well Uh, do you recommend that people who feel that they are struggling with addiction or or concerned about it I know that some people aren't sure necessarily if their porn habits are interfering with their lives or not do you recommend a complete um, kind of abstinence from it or what's your your view on that
4: I mean, that used to be my view about two years ago when I had decided this was a problem for me. I started going to some 12-step meetings, and I wanted to just put porn away completely and get away from it, which, you know, may be the healthy thing for me, but it's still a learning process for me. So I've definitely relapsed in the past few years plenty of times, um, and I think I'm still kind of holding on to this idea that maybe there is some hope for um, some moderation because I don't want to completely abstain and block myself from any kind of... Desire, any kind of external desire. I'm an open-minded person and a sexual being, and so sure. I don't want to just completely close off that part of myself. Unfortunately for me, um, when I watch a clip, it turns into two and three and four clips, and then I start binging. Um, but I'm really hoping that in the future I'm able to find a way to have some kind of moderation when it comes to it, but I'm, I'm not there yet, so I'm still learning.
0: Sure. Well, I so appreciate your honesty and your bravery. How can people learn more about you and your work?
4: Um, you can definitely come to my website which is um, ericagarza.com. I also write for a website called lunalunamag.com where I write about this sort of topic among other topics as well. This week also marks the wrap-up to 2014. Here are
0: 10 Girl Boner-approved goals worth setting. The first one ties into our topic today. If you tend to use porn routinely, commit to having sex alone or with a partner using only your body and imagination for a certain amount of time. Number two, learn to embrace your body as it is. Number three, trade negative self-talk for grateful thoughts, words, and actions. Four, trade dieting for mindful eating. That is huge. Five, meditate daily. I'm still working on this practice, and I can't tell you how awesome it is. I can't believe I can sit still, but it is very, very beneficial. Number six, prioritize rest and relaxation. Number seven, fantasize boldly. Put safe ones into play. If you have a partner, why not fantasize about him or her? That can really add some spiciness to your relationship. Number eight, look at your vagina with a handheld mirror. Study and explore its beauty. Number nine, prioritize your sexual wellness. That gyno appointment you haven't had in a year or two? Gotta schedule it. (laughs) Number 10. (laughs) Lastly, and most importantly, find and pursue your life passions. I'm telling you, if there's any sort of magical solution to most anything out there, it's that. And anytime we remove one unhealthy habit, it's so important to replace it with something else. So follow those passions. Listen to your heart. Here's what Wendy Sturgar of Good Clean Love had to say about New Year's resolutions.
1: Here are a couple really great Good Clean Love challenges for the new year. Take one of the following intimacy resolutions and make it your own. Track it the same way you would your hygiene or your exercise routines, and be sure to share your intentions with a friend, as all of our resolutions are more likely to succeed with public recognition. The first one is this, count your attention like you do your money. Our attention is, in fact, even an even more limited resource than our money, and treating it with the same reverence and respect as we do The financial currency in our lives will help you both quantify where you squander it and make choices about spending your focus on what matters. The truth about social media is that at best it's a distraction and at worst it's killing your brain's capacity to fully attend to your life. Choose a specific time each day or even once a week when you put away your devices and choose a task that requires all of your attention. It could be cleaning out a closet or organizing a meal with friends or spending some solitary time on a walk. But just do it wholly, without interruption or distractions. And then notice what happens with your thoughts when your attention is undivided. Even more gratifying, notice how other people respond when you give them the gift of your full attention.
0: Excellent tips, again. Thank you, Wendy. Though I do have to say, I think social media can be really empowering and positive in our lives if we approach it properly. What do you think about that? What goals are you setting? Have you experienced the downside of porn or found healthy, empowering ways to use it? I would love to hear from you. Find me on social media or drop me a note through my website. That's AugustMcLaughlin.com. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating and review, and hop over to my website, AugustMcLaughlin.com for show extras and a whole lot more. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful girl boner embracing week.